Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And a warm welcome to you all today, literally, uh, to St. George's Church on this Martin Luther King Day weekend, where we are here uh, to celebrate uh, the goodness of our God. And today, we, uh, our gospel reading is one of my favorite moments in the ministry of Jesus, his first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, I love this miracle because I love weddings. I've presided over some of your weddings, and unlike a lot of clergy, I love wedding receptions just as much as I love the weddings, especially if you have that prime rib with creamy horseradish. I'm like totally in. So, and besides, I can bust a move on the dance floor. So, um, but I love wedding receptions. And in my 15 years of ordained ministry, I have been to some amazing receptions, you know, with outstanding bands. Uh, the awkward toast of the maid of honor who's like always like referencing the previous four boyfriends. We've all been to those, you know, they don't quite believe the groom's going to do it. And so anyway, but uh, um, we've all been to those things. And uh, I also love, you know, I've been to some elaborate locations. And when I see the open bar, I think to myself, dang, we got to charge a little more here at the church. But anyway, uh, you know, I mean, seriously. So, uh, uh, but nevertheless... Even the wildest receptions I've ever been to uh, are nothing, are nothing compared to a first century Jewish wedding reception. Because first century Jewish wedding receptions were profound celebrations that could last up to and even beyond sometimes a week. Wedding receptions were about, were so much more than just like kind of a big party at the end of the day. They were ultimately about a family's honor and standing in the community. And this is illustrated by the fact that newlyweds, and you'll see this in some Hasidic communities even today, newlyweds do not receive toasters and bedding. It's not what they were receiving at their reception. Rather, instead, they received money, which was understood to be a grant in order to throw this very elaborate reception that should last about a week. And according to the Mishnah, this money could be recovered through a court of law if the reception was a flop. So the prime rib too salty, I'm, I'm calling it in. So, but, I, no. but this is the setting for the wedding reception. We're on the cusp of a major, major flop. Running out of wine isn't like, oops, we'll give everybody a little extra cake and send them home. This is beyond a social faux pas. This is a cause for like bone-cutting shame and embarrassment. And isn't it amazing? Here's where Jesus enters into the picture. I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of shame, where you felt less than, where you felt like you couldn't uh, go back to that place or look those people in the face kind of shame, the kind of shame that just kind of naturally can't be fixed and draws you farther and farther and farther away from a person. This is my first point. This is the mood 
This is the setting for Jesus' first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, this is very important to know. In a traditional Orthodox Jewish wedding, and it's still the same today, more so than any other religion, when the bride and the groom are wed, it is believed that heaven and earth all of a sudden become a very thin place, and it's believed that God is actually present. Therefore, Jewish law prescribed that when a guest arrived at the wedding, the servants would wash the guest's hand in order that they would be ritually pure. St. John tells us at the wedding there were six large stone jars for this particular rite of purification. Plenty of water, but no wine. And into this scene, as I've just said, Jesus arrives. And you can hear the tension in Mary's words when she says, they have no wine. She knows what's about to happen. To which Jesus responds, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Sadly, most people think that Jesus has come into the world to be a new lawgiver. That Jesus has come into the world to deliver that not so profound nor heavenly message of shape up. Be obedient. Ugh. And keep the commandments. That's wrong. Because everything that happens next is a foreshadow of what Jesus will accomplish when his hour does come. That Jesus at this wedding, what this foreshadows is that Jesus at this wedding is our Redeemer and our Savior from shame. Jesus tells the servants, he walks in there and he tells the servants, fill those stone jars for ritual purification with more water. Now, when Jesus does this, what he is saying here, what he is illustrating is that he has come to do and be something different. This isn't any old regular old Moses showing up to the wedding feast. Like those six stone jars filled to the brim with water, what Jesus has come to do is he has come to fill up the law of Moses with all of its demands with something greater than Moses his own perfect sinless life given for you. And then he draws out of those stone jars something wonderful. Not more rules and regulations for you to follow, but wine. Something intoxicating. Joyous, glad wine. Which is his blood given and shed for you in his hour upon the cross. Commandment keeping cannot bring us life. We think it can, and that's a total deception. For what the law does is that it only increases the shame. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to changing and converting hearts, especially when it comes to redeeming your shame, 
When it comes to things like racial reconciliation, which we reflect upon this weekend in the life of Martin Luther King Jr., the law cannot save us, as is demonstrated in Washington this week. The law is about as effective as 180 gallons of ritual water in cold stone jars. It's about as effective as that at gladdening people's hearts at a, as, at, a, at a wedding feast with no wine. And this is my second point. You see, Jesus has actually come to do something completely different. Something completely unexpected. He's come to bring good news. The gospel. That on the cross, he has come to bear our shame, redeem us, and make us all black, white, brown, a new people, one people, the church. And that's our only salvation in this conversation. And let me proclaim to you, sisters and brothers, that the gospel is amazing. It's what's held this church together throughout the years. It's what carries us through the darkness of life. That's what the church is about. It's amazing. Notice what the steward of the feast says. He tastes that wine, and then subsequently all of the other guests are going to take it. And he's like, you've saved the best for last. Most people are pulling out the Thunderbird by this time of the wedding, you know what I mean? It's like, great. But like, he's like, you've saved the best for last. And what they've got here is no diluted grape juice nonsense. What they have here is no two-buck chuck. Rather, this is 2010 Castillo de Alma, and I pronounce it a lot better after two. The gospel that Jesus brings is no fake religiosity of you doing your part and God might do his. The gospel that Jesus has come to bring is no gospel nonsense of God helping those who help themselves. If I could do it myself, I wouldn't be here. The gospel... What Jesus is about is the gospel, and it's so sweet, and it's so pure, it's hard and impossible on our own to believe. Now you're beginning to understand what the real miracle at Cana was all about. It's impossible to believe because it's this pure, one-way love of God towards sinners. The gospel must always follow the law, and it must always be distinguished from the law, or else you don't have a proper understanding of Christianity. In fact, you lose Christianity completely. And that's the big problem in the church today, is that most people have never heard the gospel. They've heard Jesus as your life coach. And when read through that lens, distinguishing the law from the gospel, it makes sense that the steward of the party would comment after tasting that wine, my God, you've saved the best for last. Because God has reserved the best for last, pouring out the finest vintage at the very end. 
See, this is a foreshadow of things that are about to come. Everything in this event points to the cross. The third day. John writes that for a reason. Because on the third day, we're all going to be invited to a wedding feast at the end of the age. My hour, pointing to the cross. Even the use of the word woman. This has nothing to do with respect or disrespect. This is a foreshadow of what Jesus says to Mary on the cross. Woman, behold your son. God's vintage wine is Jesus himself. Poured out for you, poured out for me, poured out for the life of the world in his death. To remove our sin and erase our shame from the inside out. And through the water and the blood that comes from his side on the cross that fills up our baptismal fonts today with washing water and fills the chalice with wine from heaven. And that's how close this is. That's how real this is. That's how tangible it is. And you, as a baptized believer, are privileged to taste and see and know that the Lord is good. And you are privileged to have a foretaste of a marriage feast that never ends, but goes on forever into the age that is to come. For the gospel, what Jesus has come to bring is the power of God unto salvation. And with these means, word, water, bread, wine, what they do is that the Spirit uses those things to create the true miracle, faith in our hearts, the power to believe in Jesus. That's the real miracle here. The very last lines. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. That's the real miracle going on here, that you and I believe in him. And this is my third point. At Cana in Galilee, thrusting us to the cross, in this church, in word and sacrament, in the body and the blood, thrusting us back to the cross, Jesus manifests his glory for faith. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is here to feed you with his body and soon to gladden your heart with the wine that is his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, to bring you joy overflowing and unending despite your circumstances. And today we are going to experience the miracle in Cana, once again, and know that Jesus has removed our shame and has become our righteousness, removing every obstacle so that we now might believe once again in him and truly live. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.